Alright, welcome to another episode of Save the Track Bike, presented by Hexagon Cycles. On today's episode, this is a big one, I have Esther Walker and Dave Santos from the Event and Factory team recapping the SoCal Fix Series, the first race, the Top Gun Crit. So we go over that, we talk about their wins, and then after that, stick around because we have a conversation with Lee Povey. He is a track cycling coach. And we talk about track cycling, we talk about uh, why you should get a coach, training, and a new program that he's doing to get more people racing with USA Cycling. So anyway, with all that said, let's just get into it. All right, hi, I'm Esther Walker, um, based out of San Diego, uh, with the Events and Factory team. Cool, and uh, I'm David Santos. I'm also based out of San Diego, and I ride for the Event on Factory team as well. So uh, we're here talking about the SoCal Fix Series. The uh, first race in the series just happened, and you guys both won your respective fields. Um, paint a picture for us on the race for you and kind of how the day went and yeah how you how you ended up taking yeah. the win yeah um so it was, you know i uh the day um started with basically me building my bike i uh, took a little break from mission crit in brooklyn after that i had uh, spent a lot of time on the track bike going into it and uh basically i pulled it out of the travel case the morning of the race got it built up and it took it for a spin on the block and went over to our director's house and the car pulled up to the race and Basically, got on the, you know, got back to, or got on the bike as soon as I got there. Well, it was at Mount San Antonio College, which was cool because I had spent a lot of time there back in the day when I was running cross country track, and I hadn't been back since um, since then. And it was really awesome to have a course or go back for a bike race at the college. And Lewis is still called Fix was able to walk down like a closed course. We had this huge parking lot all to ourselves and. As soon as we pulled in, you could see all the riders, you could see the course already well marked or all set up and they had an expo, um, you know, but some vendors, they had a food truck, there was these donut biscuits of some sort. It looked incredible. <laughs> uh, everybody's just hanging out, riding bikes, people had their dogs there, there's music playing. It was a you know, a super cool scene for, you know, being in SoCal race and a lot of that guys I'd seen locally made it up, some other San Diego guys, and I had a teammate who um, was actually the, our first race, or his first race with us. He came down from Big Bear. He's up there. He races road bikes, and I used to train with him several years ago when I was doing a lot more road. So he was down with Quentin, and uh, so it was super cool. So we pull up, and we grab our gear, we walk over, and Venton had a tent set up, and we had some riders there. You know, Esther was there, and started getting our gear together, and checked in, and to see Luis, and it was, a, it was a super cool vibe. You know, it was really cool to see, uh, like, a, I feel like the race is finally, like, it's here to stay. It's got a great location. It was like a typical professional, professionally run race, and, you know, it was catered. He did it all for the riders, and, I mean, I was, you know, just as good as any road race I've ever seen, if not better. And then he had some great sponsors that came out, a lot of the riders from, that were there also were commuting back from the race they had just done in Arizona, which was kind of cool the day before. 
So uh, overall, I was um, just pulling up to the race and getting ready. It was, you know, it was standard, really cool scene, community based, and I was super pumped to be there. Yeah, I'd love to get your perspective so, on that as well, Esther. Yeah, I mean, I echo everything Dave said, but also it's been really cool to see the development of the the SoCal Fix series. I mean, it's been going on for a few years, and I. I've gone to a few of them, like in the past, I think, past couple of years, I've gone to a few races, and um, those were always fun as well, but this is even better now. It's the first time they have a closed course, so really you can focus on your race rather than (laughs) worrying about if a car is going to come around the corner or the cops are going to shut you down. Um, So that was kind of a a cool element. And then on top of that, yeah, just seeing all the the cool vendors um with the with the food and the the donuts um it was you know a lot of the road races and chris we do don't even have that so it was it was really just kind of a a a fun vibe to it that's awesome and and you were mentioning before uh this apocalyptic storm interrupted the first time we tried (laughs) to do this podcast of uh kind of showing up and being a little worried about the women's field not you know, being completely filled out, I guess. And yeah, just how did that ended up turning out? Yeah, it was great. I mean, again, as I said, I've done a few of these before and you never know if you're going to show up and there'll be, you know, one other woman or, you know, five women. Are you going to have to race with the men? Um, and so this was really awesome. We showed up and I, you know, I saw a lot of the women I recognized from the community um, a lot of people that I usually race on the road also decided to jump in and give fixed year racing a, a try. Uh, so it was really cool to kind of see the expansion. I think in the end there was about, you know, uh, 20 women racing, which which is really great to see for this series. I mean, it's not yet on the level of the fields of like, you know, Mission Crit or, or Red Hook, but I think it's definitely expanding and growing. And that was really encouraging to see. That's awesome. I'd love to hear how the women's race kind of played out for you and how you ended up taking the win yeah so i knew i had my uh teammate kim there and again usually we we talk a little bit about strategy and um you know obviously in in bike racing usually if you have a a teammate usually want to send one up the road and then the other can you know relax for a bit until you know the the field comes and chases them then you know you might send the other one uh so i knew i had uh kim there as a really strong teammate um, and then it was also kind of a funny situation because um, the road team I raced with, one of my teammates from that team um, came up and raced, and I knew she was really strong. Uh, but it was a unique situation in that, in this case, uh, we were actually racing on different teams. Uh, and so once the race went off, um, I usually try to stay near the front um, just in case, you know, there are any crashes or anything like that. Um, but there were a few early attacks. I know Kim had attacked and then um, a few others. And then I'm not sure exactly what lap uh, I went for it, but I think there had just been a couple of attacks. People were just kind of easing up. And so I just uh, went really hard down the straightaway and I knew I had uh, Ginger and my road teammate, Catherine, uh, pretty close to my wheel, Um, but I kept drilling it. And then I um, eventually looked back and I saw only Catherine was chasing me and later I found out unfortunately Ginger had, had slid out um, in that chase but Catherine was continuing to chase me I think the gap was holding at around uh, 10 seconds um, and so again I, I know how she races pretty well um, and so I just focused on keeping her kind of at that same time gap 
I think a lot of people didn't realize she was chasing me um, because uh, we had to navigate through some of the drop riders in the field. I think we ended up lapping the field uh, uh, twice. And I think at first I felt kind of uh, bad because I think people thought I was just trying to keep keep lapping the field, but that wasn't quite it. Uh, <laughs> they didn't realize that there was actually the second place rider only 10 seconds behind <laughs> the whole time. So it made for an interesting race situation. Uh, and that's why I kept going hard because knowing her uh she has a really powerful sprint and again i'm really good at you know the the one the one hard speed and so i just knew i couldn't let her catch me otherwise she'll probably outstrip me in the end uh so it it felt long, like a really long time off, off the front but i'm i'm used to that I, I really like time trials uh so i finished up and then watched the final sprint which was, i was really happy to see kim take that for third that's awesome. Dave, did you get to watch uh, the women's race at all? I sure did. Nice. How, <laughs> yeah, I, I want to hear from your from a spectator perspective. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. After get her, her standard head down and just pin it. And she <laughs> was, it was pretty incredible. I think I was getting my pin, my number pinned up and doing, or I was helping Quentin, like, put some bar tape on his bike and so right before that I watched the start and I was actually had Kim's camera and I was filming the start and I filmed the first couple laps and then I went and had to like change out his bar tape or help him do that and um, next thing I know I finished I was going to go help get some more footage of the race with Kim's camera and Esther is just rolling like she's got a gap and I've seen that before when she puts her head down <laughs> she, she started going and then uh as i was trying to get some more footage she just kept opening up that lead bigger and bigger and bigger next thing i knew she was lapping riders may have lapped several groups once or twice at least and i could see Catherine coming you know and she was just chasing it was just like a well it was, it was like a 30 minute time trial it, like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was pretty awesome <laughs> That was a surprise. Jessica is one of a kind. She's so strong. So she's definitely, uh, you know, <laughs> she's at home when she's in a breakaway. But like, especially if the solo breakaway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So, how, uh, Dave, how did the uh, men's race play out for you? Yeah, so the men's race is good. We had a, a huge field. It's probably, you know, pretty standard for um i guess we get a pretty good turnout in silicon six series in general and there's probably at least 60 guys 60 70 guys on the start line um this is for the elite category and then the attack category that had a really great turnout too for some of the beginner riders and um so it's cool to see both you know two pretty really good sized men's fields for both the attack and the elite category um but yeah so we all got on the line and Got started and I got there just early enough to like get a a front row start and you know I had a perfect clip in took off and I was like immediately third wheel around the first few turns which was a basically chicane and for the first few laps it was pretty aggressive there was a a lot of attacks and a lot of guys were rolling and I was just trying to you know like that nervous energy in the first five laps of these races is crazy and you just never know what's going to happen and so it's always, it's always the safest place to try to stay top five sometimes you got to do a little work but at least you're guaranteed to, you know pretty you know to be in a safe position to avoid crashes and 
you know, you have an out, you won't get caught up in stuff and have to chase. So I did that for at least five, ten laps. Things were rolling. It was a fast course. It was only point six five. It was only point six five miles, or was it point two? Yeah, it was definitely really short. Um, great turns and high speed, and uh, it just kept. You know, our group slowly started dwindling down to about forty riders, and then thirty riders, and guys were still attacking. And it was just on for most of the race, and there were a couple small one-two man breakaways that you know got a little got some gaps, but it was nothing super substantial. And occasionally, I had my teammates, so we would either um, try to bridge across, and there's just a lot of guys that wanted to be in the break, so you'd get like that welding effect. So I kind of was just surfing wheels for a lot of it, and I would try to chase and about halfway through I um, bridged up to a, a move but then also I had like two other guys in my wheels and then two more guys were trying to react so then eventually that move all came back and so like the men's race is kind of unique there were no breakaways really that stuck anything substantial and um, we're getting down to probably what I want to say about 10 blocks to go maybe about 15 minutes left of racing and um, there was a cream lap. And all of a sudden, like, everybody was going for the $100 cream lap. The speed was picking up. And as we were coming around the last turn, which was a pretty long, high-speed right-hand sweeper, uh, one of the guys, unfortunately, uh, slipped out, crashed, and, um, you know, caused, you know, a bunch of guys ran into him, and I had to take an outside line. Luckily, what's cool about having a parking lot cones is you're pretty – you got an out. You're not going to be hitting any barriers. So uh, Quentin and I took the outside line, and we managed to avoid the crash. And unfortunately, a couple dudes got hurt pretty bad, and they had to stop the race for about 20 or 30 minutes um, to let the ambulances take care of the guys and get them fixed up. So they restarted the race, and I think we had about 15 minutes to go, maybe just under. And um, there was a couple guys that had about five seconds when this all occurred. And so they gave him a five-second, you know, head start, and then the rest of us took off, and there was a small group behind us. And we, at this point, there's probably about 15, 20 guys left in that group. And um, I kind of got the front, Doug tried to bring it back just because I wanted to have a full reset, having a, a field together. I didn't want those two guys to get away. They're both pretty strong riders. And um, as soon as I came back, you know, we did a few more attacks occurred, and then, um, Angel Menez, he uh, ended up getting off the front. I saw him go, and I was about, I don't know, fifth or sixth wheel at this point, and I felt a lull happen, so then I just kind of jumped and um, tried to get across to Angel. And there's a, I could see I had a gap right away, and I could also see that it got strung out, some guys were trying to come. But I managed to get to Angel without anyone on my wheel, and then I'm like, come on, Angel, let's go. So we ended up put our heads down. I took a couple of huge pulls, and you know, worked with Angel, and we were managed to stay about, you know, eight seconds, ten seconds, twelve seconds, and we were gaining some ground like every lap, and um, we kept working together pretty good, and we were holding a good gap. So I knew that it was going to be between him and I. And um, as we were coming into the last couple laps, I was getting nervous because he was flying, flying through this the hairpin or the two chicanes. So and I was like, he was dropping me every single time. I was, he was coming out of there with a gap. I'm like, crap, if he, uh, you know, if 
this happens on the last lap and he just pins it. I don't know if I was, you know, you know, I'd I'd have to chase, you know? And so, um, going into the last lap, I made sure that I went first to the chicane because I, I wasn't going, I can't do it as fast as he was. So I was able to like control how fast he was going, but then it put me on the front. But then again, it was such a short distance from the, that chicane, that high speed, tight chicane to the finish. So once I was able to take it with one to go, I just kind of maintained and took that chicane as safely as I could and (laughs) kept him from opening the gap because he was all behind me. And then I just started sprinting from, you know, that long straightaway right-hand sweeper and took the inside line, kept it tight, and I was able to hold him off and, um, he, yeah, he rode super strong. He held on the second. The field was closing on us as well. So uh, it was pretty cool that we were still able to stay away. And uh, there's, you know, the guys came barreling in right as we passed the line. The guys were just, you know, I saw the finishing video and they were all just right there. So it was good. Great race, super competitive. It was fast. And, you know, we still managed to, you know, get a good breakaway going. And, you know, Angel does, and he, he had a good number of teammates there. So, and I had one teammate. So it definitely helped to, you know, not have as many guys part of the chase group, and you know, sometimes what you got to do is just find someone with a team and you know, and you work together and see what happens at the end. Nice, so. Esther. I, I would love to get your uh, take on the course and also the men's race if you got a chance to spectate it at, at all. Yeah, yeah, it was the the course was super fun. Like Dave said, it was short. It was only, I think, like he said, it was like 0.65 miles. Um, so it started kind of like on a straightaway, went into kind of a sweeping turn into uh, a hairpin, um, and then a couple other chicanes before kind of the long straightaway. Um, and the wind was definitely picking up throughout the day. And so on that long straight section, uh, I feel like part of the race it was a headwind and then I felt like by the end it was a tailwind so you were really flying uh down that point and they did a pretty good job of kind of sweeping the course so there was nothing like you know major to worry about in terms of uh debris um but it was also just uh I'm not always the most comfortable at the the tight hair pins but this one was nice it was pretty wide and you could really kind of uh carve out some good lines so it was it was a really fun course that way um, and then, yeah, I definitely got to spectate the men's. It's nice, you know, when they go second, we can watch and be a little more relaxed. And um, it was really cool to see our new teammate, uh, Quentin, up there. He looks just super comfortable in the group. He was always near the front for that, that first half of the race. So that was really cool to see. Um, and then, of course, we were worried once we saw everyone drop what they were doing and run to the other side of the course. We knew that there had been a crash. And so... Of course, you never want anyone to get injured, so we all kind of checked that out, um, made sure the guys that went down was was okay um, before they restarted. And then, as they've said, I think maybe that was about 10 to go. And so after that, yeah, we all kind of lined up and uh, watched them just uh, rail it out. And it's always fun to watch kind of the, the lines they take because, again, their their fields are a lot bigger, and so they're going to kind of navigate shoulder to shoulder through some of those hairpins, which is always uh, fun to watch. Uh, and then going into the last couple of laps, like Dave said, they had um, a gap. And so we didn't know, uh, of course we knew that Dave was going to win, but again, they made it exciting <laughs> by, you know, him opening those, 
those little gaps through through those final chicanes. Um, and then at, once we saw the sprint closing in, we knew uh, that Dave had it. And then uh, when the field came in, it was also cool to see our uh, other teammates, our, our new rider, come in at fifth as well. So overall, a good day for the team. That's awesome. I'd love to get kind of a pitch from both of you on why people should come out to the race uh, to, for the next SoCal Fix Series, which is June 24th. And, uh, yeah, just kind of like shout out why people should come out and specifically why more women should turn out. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's like, it's a, it's a great atmosphere. All the women are super welcoming and, you know, it's, it's, it's a really cool thing in that it's all levels can participate. So you have people, you know, just starting out their first race to those who have been racing, you know, for many years. Um, and again, uh, another cool thing is that the cost to, to register is low um, and you don't actually have to have a racing license. So overall, the cost to entry is is, is pretty low just to come in and try it out. So even if you're not sure if it's something that, you know, you want to do, if you've been, you know, riding on your fixed gear or even your road bike and are interested in racing, um, it'd be great to come out and support the, the women's field. It'd be great to see, you know, try to boost those numbers even further. So maybe even, you know, up to 30 this time. Uh, so yeah, it's definitely a great atmosphere, uh, great people. The food was great. The, uh, the course was great and, um, just, just overall a fun time, low pressure. I've done a handful of these over the last couple of years and I know every year, like Luis is diligently working his butt off to try and make it each one, you know, bigger and better than the last. And he, you know, I'm so happy for him that you know, what he's been able to do for all, for the SoCal six-year scene and for all of us racers and providing opportunities for up-and-coming kid, you know, kids who just want to get into bike racing. There's such a huge barrier of entry on the road bike side, and it really is inhibits, you know, new blood that comes in the sport just because, you know, the bikes are expensive, you have to buy a racing license, you have to buy all this special equipment. And um, the beauty, the most beautiful thing about track bikes is, you know, there are some really expensive ones, but they're, you know, a really reasonably priced bike, and any bike can get the job done. And then, as Esther was saying, he provides a race format that really allows new riders to come and, you know, try something new out for a really reasonable price, and he makes it a community-based, it's fun, it's, you know, there's great people around, and it allows riders to come and actually race against other beginner riders by having separate categories. Um, he offers incredible prize money too. It's like more than a lot of the road crit. And he had some amazing sponsors come on board and he said something that, you know, I never, ever, you know, not that I just never expected that, uh, you know, see like a fixed gear racing and I grow so fast into what he, you know, what it, into what it is now at a local level. And I'm pretty pumped to see where it can go because you know Southern California is like a mecca for cycling. We have all we have mountain biking, we have road biking, we have track. You know we have amazing tracks down here in SoCal, um, and then tons of you know and the track cyclists. You know the urban you know the urban six year scene and it has it all. And so by creating more opportunities for people to get into racing and learn about racing. And being able to combine, you know, have a race format that allows anybody to race, you know, and you can race against anybody. And if you're great, if you're good, there's no that category stuff. It's 
you know, come and race. If you want to race elite, you sign up for elite. You want to race beginners or attack category, give it a shot, you know. And overall, I think it's just doing so many good things for the sport and for what, you know, making track bike great or fixed gear crit racing more well-known. And, and I mean, it's just a bunch of fun, you know. And, and that's one thing that I didn't really see a lot of on the roadside is just the community-based you, know, you get to hang out with your friends, you know, it's not like you're on a separate team and you hang out with only your teammates and then you arrive with your teammates and you leave with your teammates, you never go talk to anybody. Like the, the thing I've noticed about fixed gear racing is so much more community based and you kind of have a lot more camaraderie and you, you're racing with your friends and you know these people on and off the bike and not just, you know, racing your teammates and you don't talk to other racers. That's something I really loved about the fixed gear crits across the board, you know, whether it's Red Hook or like some of the local original based stuff. It's so much more community based and just fun. It's a great environment and great atmosphere and Luis is nailing it with these yeah. so called fixed crits he's doing. And he's just such a nice dude. <laughs> yeah. Like truly. I think I feel like he's really in it for the community. Like uh not that not that a lot of people aren't, but like just my perspective of just talking to him on the podcast is just like I feel like he's doing everything right. <laughs> oh, I hundred percent agree. And he's genuinely just wants to provide opportunities, wants to provide a great race and and loves what he's doing, he loves the sport and truly, like you were saying, just wants to, you know, make it as good as possible and have as many riders, you know, help all these riders out. Super cool. I was just going to say, yeah, I think often like being a race promoter and organizing races is a, a pretty thankless job. And Luis has really yeah, just nailed it on the head. And it's been really cool to see this this series grow over the past few, few years and the support that it's gotten. So I really want to give a big shout out to him and his team. Absolutely. Um, do you both plan on being at the next two races? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure if I, I'm in town, I'm there. That's for that's for sure. Yeah, um, same. If I'm if I'm in town, I'd like to be there. The June 24th one is a little hard. We have a lot of competing races that that day, but I'm going to see what I can do to to try to be there and try to bring as many other women with me as I can. Absolutely. Um, well, I think this is a good place to end it. Uh, do you guys want to shout out your team and your sponsors and stuff before we head out? It's easier because you're both on the same team. So, <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, Esther. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, we, we want to thank our team. I think uh, Dave and I have both been with it for is this our fourth season, Dave. Yeah, I was actually yeah. talking to a friend about that last night. I was, I was like, oh my goodness, this is four years. Yeah, yeah I remember the years in terms of our. So, yeah, I think this is our, our fourth year with the team, and we've always had uh, great sponsors. So a big shout-out, obviously, to Venton Bikes and, um, and all the great people there. Um, had a great partnership with them. They they showed up to the race at the tent, you know, make sure we had everything we needed. Our awesome wheels, uh, Irwin and the Orange Field, uh, kind of secret tip of our wheels this year is that we are, we're all running tubeless. Uh, and it's dramatically risk, uh, reduced our, our flat ratio that we've been getting at every race previously. So um, it also lets us run a lot lower tire pressure, um, which is great through all those tight turns. So that's been pretty awesome. Dave, you want to shout out the rest? 
Yeah, and uh, Oral Case has been a huge help in getting us to races. They, uh, you know, they make these incredible bike cases that are perfect for our track bikes. We can get them in there. We've you can avoid the you know how expensive it is to fly with a bike. It's a huge deterrent sometimes to want to bring a bike, but when you're traveling for racing, you have to bring it. And so you can add an extra, you know. 150 to 300 dollars to your ticket just because you have a bike to carry. So our sponsor Oru Case has been, you know, a huge help in helping us save some money for on travel costs. Because we've been able to fly fee or fee free with our bikes. And you know, I think we've had one charge out of 20 different flights so far. That has been huge for the team. Um, we also have um, Giro Cycling. They provide all of our, uh, you know. Our fancy race wear and helmets look great in that, and shoes, of course. And Roka is in our great eyewear sponsor. We did a really cool photo shoot with them a little while ago at our local velodrome here in San Diego, and super cool guys, and their eyewear is fantastic. Anything else you guys want to say before we head out? Um, no, just was... come, come out and race the next one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like that. Yeah, I hope everyone comes out and races. It's fun. Come hang out and come say hi and you know, we are, we've been playing bikes for a long time and love seeing new new riders out there and, you know, riders can always come visit our, you know, our team and they ever want to, you know, questions or whatever, can always here to help and appreciate, you know, you, Josh, and doing what you do with your podcast and, you know, that's kind of what's so special about the sport and there's so many great people in it and everybody's, you know, all there to have fun, race bikes, and you know, share the experience. And if anyone's ever in uh, San Diego this summer and they want to come uh, watch Dave and I play bikes or even play bikes with us, uh, we're, we're often at the San Diego Velodrome. So uh, another fun community to, to be a part of. Cool. Thank you both so much for doing this. Absolutely. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. Okay, my name's Lee Posey. Um, I'm a track cycling coach working at the Los Angeles Velodrome in California, and I run a company called Performance Cycle Coaching. What's your history with cycling and, and track cycling specifically, and how did that lead into you becoming a coach? So I used to go and watch my dad race at the local track to me, which was Preston Park in Brighton. Uh, it's a bit of an interesting track. It's uh, approximately 580 meters around, and it goes around two cricket pitches. has an uphill, a downhill, and only two of the turns are banked, and they're less banked than the straights at the velodrome here in L.A. Um, I used to watch them, and I used to think, I could do that. And my dad used to tell me that I would never be as good as him, and, you know, I'm a kid. I had to prove him wrong. So that's how I got started in track cycling. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Uh, what attracted you to, to track cycling? So I'm, I'm very analytical and I, I like things that are really challenging that you have to think about a lot. So I was a pretty good swimmer at the time. Uh, my main sports at the time was swimming and rugby. The thing with swimming is you swim up, you see the little T at the end of the pool, you do your tumble turn, you swim back. There's a bit of pacing in it. I was a swimmer, so there wasn't even really any pacing in that. So it, it wasn't it wasn't emotionally or mentally challenging enough for me. Um, rugby certainly was. 
but there was just something about the speed of track cycling and uh, and I'm, I'm naturally a sprinter so the there were events that were specifically suitable to me and I could see that it could be something I thought I could be good at. So when we were talking before we did this, you know, we talked a little bit about how I kind of grew up in this like, or started cycling in this kind of era of fixed gear bikes on the streets and people riding like track bikes, like in alley cats and doing fixed gear crits and all that kind of stuff. So kind of like one of the interesting things about having you on the show is like, I wanted you to give me the pitch why people that kind of have my background that are maybe listening to this podcast should get out to their closest velodrome and try out track cycling. Um, so why should you, why should you do track cycling? Why should, you know, fix your kids? Why should alley cat guys and girls, why should people doing the fixed crits do track cycling? Lots of reasons. One, you get, usually three to four races a night um the venues are, are, are pretty easy to work with you go into a venue you know where you're going to be uh, once you're on the track you're going to get lots of practice so you as i said you get three four races a night so you get plenty of opportunity to practice your tactics to improve your experience and your skill levels there's usually going to be people there that are more experienced than you that are going to be pretty open to giving you feedback. It's one of the things I really like about the track riding community. There tends to be people that are pretty good at helping newer, younger riders out. You get to try different events. Um, you can do sprints. You can do kirins. You can do point races. You can do scratch races. You can do individual pursuits. You can do sprint time trials. You can do team events. So there's a lot more variation than there is in the typical uh, 60 crit, which is going to suit a particular type of rider. Whereas on the track, you can find kind of a wide gambit of races that are going to suit all kinds of different people physiologically and emotionally. So you've got more opportunities to try different things that are going to maybe suit you better than just the kind of people that are suited to uh, doing the fixed gear crits, for example. And... If you're competitive, you, you know, there's, there's a lot more track racing around than there is at the moment with the fixed gear kit, um, fixed gear crits. Yeah, I think that uh, that's a really good that's a really good reason. Because <laughs> like somebody like me, like I love the idea of like fixed gear crits and stuff, but I don't think that I necessarily have the body type or kind of the fitness for that specific thing but like people tell me that i need to go out and get more experience at the velodrome because because of the way i'm built they think i can be a really good sprinter cool so i think i, I should probably the, do that <laughs> you, you should definitely do that and one of the other things about the velodrome different categories so you know you can start in the four fives and you can kind of work your way up so not only do you have different events but you also have different ability levels that you're racing against. And that gives you kind of more opportunities to see where you fit, uh, where you fit on your current fitness. So you can start at a kind of lower fitness and as you improve your fitness or as you learn more about yourself and you become more skilled, there's, there's, another, there's other levels to you to go to. And that's on the local level. Then you kind of look on a national level. You have national championships to go to. You know, one of the really good things about track racing is we have racing in America from riders from 10 years old to 75 plus. So you have this 
huge range of both abilities and ages that can all do the same sport. I mean, I, I really can't think of any other sport. Maybe athletics has, has that kind of range of masters and, and juniors, but there's very few sports where you can race against world champions, be in the same venue as world champions, be in the same race as world champions, and have such a, a, a wide range of age groups all compete in a, a similar event. Yeah, that's a really good point. The first time I went to the velodrome uh, for the taster class or whatever, I think that's what they call it at the one in Boulder. Yeah, uh, for the taster yeah. class or the try the velodrome class. Um, I remember we we're all like learning how to do it. And and then training was this dude who was training for like world championships. And he was so fast, <laughs> but he was like really nice and giving everybody tips and and. And like part of it is I think that going to the track or something like that can seem like really intimidating for people. And so I think that, um, yeah, can you speak to that a little bit? Like what can people expect when they go out to a track or is there something that people should know before they go out there? Um, bikes aside, because I assume that most people listening are used to riding on a fixed gear bike. So. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, we share the same bikes as you're going to be riding on the road. The only difference is you, you definitely have to have some kind of pedal retention and usually tracks will want you to take a break off if you've got a brake on and they'll want you to use drop handlebars. Otherwise, the bikes are the same that you guys are using on the road and doing in the fixed gear crits. I find most of the beginners sessions that I've seen, I've been involved in, are super, super welcoming really friendly the kind of person who is attracted to either volunteering or working as a, as a beginner coach they tend to have kind of outgoing personalities be friendly fun people and really enjoy giving back and making that experience as fun as it can possibly be i don't think i've ever run a beginner's clinic where anybody left feeling disappointed or or like it was too intimidating or that they didn't enjoy themselves People, especially when you're talking of the more steeply banked tracks, they leave those clinics with a massive smile on their face because there is very little to compare to kind of going to the top of a steeply banked track and kind of flying down it. You know, even hills on the road aren't quite the same as that. You don't have any kind of danger element. You've not got cars and stuff that are going to come uh, get in your way. You haven't got pedestrians. You know, it's just you on the track. Um, it's interesting. I often get people say to me that track racing is dangerous. Yet statistically, it's probably the safest form of cycling. It's safer than crit racing. It's safer than road racing. Uh, you tend to fall off less on the track than you do on mountain biking or cyclocross. But it's actually a very safe sport to do. The venues are, are, are obviously safe. So I really encourage people to come and give it a go. I'm pretty sure that you're going to be a lot less intimidated than you might imagine, and you'll find uh, usually a very welcoming community. Uh, it's a small community, and we want to try to get our numbers up. So every track that I've ever worked out or been involved in is desperate to get more people riding at the track. I love watching track racing. Like, I watch track racing on YouTube. I think it's just such an amazing sport, especially, like, watching elimination races and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. so I kind of want to get your pitch why people should even, 
even if they're not interested in racing, why they should go out and support the velodrome. Cause I just think that the fact that there's not more like stadiums full of people watching is like insane to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a little biased because track racing is my life. Um, so I can't, I'm, I'm like you, I can't understand why we struggle to get people uh, to come and watch track racing. It's a great spectator sport. Everything happens in front of you. You can watch the entire race from beginning to end. Most of the races are pretty simple to understand what's going on. You know, we have some more complex races like the points race, the Madison, the tempo races, where you've kind of got to keep track of, of what's going on in the race. But most of the races are pretty simple. The first person past the post is the winner of the race. Um, I think if you like sport, you come and watch a track race, you're always going to get great value for your money. Most of the tracks don't even charge people to come and watch, so you've got free entertainment, or if they do charge, it's usually pretty low cost. As I said, you've got two to three hours of jam-packed action. Uh, usually the races go straight up one after the other. There's very little um, downtime in the program. It's not like when you go and watch a, a football game or something where you have timeouts you've got to wait for, you've got TV adverts that you've got to wait for. The action's just non-stop in track racing. So that's one of the things that really appeals to me. And then the strategy of it. You know, when you start watching it and watching it regularly, you start to figure out how much aerodynamics play a role in the strategy of track cycling and how the cyclists are trying to use those aerodynamics to their benefit or to to hinder their rivals. And once you start to figure that out, it then gets really fascinating. What are some of your favorite tracks you've been to? I've got Calientes in Mexico. That's my favorite track. Um, it's the fastest track I've ever ridden on. And unfortunately, when I went there, I, I took a group of cyclists there and we broke, I think everyone that we took broke a world record. Um, so we, we we beat most of the World Masters records. It was a fantastic trip to be involved in. Um, and it's just a really nice track. The people are super friendly. It's incredibly fast. Uh, the whole facility is really good. So that was a really good track. I really enjoyed that. Um, obviously, my home track or my new home track here in L.A., I really like another good facility. Again, really friendly people, well-run well facility. Um, I like a lot of the tracks in America. There's a lot of good outdoor 3-3 tracks, which are they allow the racing to be pretty varied. Indoor tracks tend to um, work well with a particular style of racing, especially in sprinting, where the outdoor bigger tracks allow for a bigger variety of tactics, which is also fun. I'm curious to get some of your favorite stories uh or at least a couple. I know this is a big, vague question, but like, I love to get people's <laughs> stories of some of their favorite stories or highlights of their cycling career, if you will. So first I'm going to talk about a, a guy that I coach, a guy called Ray, um, who, and I don't think he'll, he'll mind me saying this, isn't necessarily the most physically gifted athlete I've ever coached. Uh, he's a master's rider. He's won medals in team events before, but he never actually won a national championship himself in an individual event. And I think it was three years ago now at uh, the Indy Veloplex in Indianapolis. He won his first individual title in the 500-meter TT. So on that track, that's one and a half laps against the clock. He was drawn in the last heat against 
the reigning national champion, who also happens to be the world record holder for the 200 meter GT in his age group. And, you know, the guy who really is the strong favourite. And Ray just put in the performance of his life. We got the coaching right. We got his bike position right. We got his form right on the day of the event. He rose to the occasion. Everything worked. And he won his first individual title. And, you know, I've coached plenty of people that won world titles, um, you know, all kinds of different age groups. And that just, there was something about everything coming right on the day for that guy that was just, I just enjoyed it so much. Just such a great coaching memory. And then about 30 minutes later, his training partner, who was in the age group younger than him, also won. So they both won their first national championships. Uh, same day, uh, within 30 minutes of each other. So that was a really good moment for, for me as a coach and for our team. And that really kind of kicked off a great week of racing at that championships for us. Uh, then I've got a little funny story of my own. So when I was racing... Back in the day when I first started, I used to do all of the events. And then as I got older, I concentrated in sprinting. I was at the National Championships in Leicester, which is an outdoor 333-meter track in the UK. And I just won the first sprint in the National Points Race Championships finals for the juniors. This is 17 to 18. And I crossed the finish line. I, I swung up the track to kind of uh, get back into the pack and see where my rivals were. And I punctured my back tire. I managed to control the slide so i kind of i was upright but kind of moving down the track quickly and because i'd won the sprint i was still ahead of everybody so i got to the bottom of the track and literally the entire field rode over me i mean everybody hit me i must have had at least 10 bikes right over the top of me and leicester used to have this uh, athletics track uh type of uh, material um on the uh, apron so I hit this uh, kind of uh, grippy rubber material, completely ripped the butt out of my shorts. So now my butt's hanging out my shorts. No. I'm on the floor. Everybody's ridden over me. Like, I've got tire marks everywhere. One of my friends comes up, uh, changes my wheel, puts me back in the race. I'm now back in the race. I finished the race with my butt hanging out. <laughs> like, marks all over me, blood everywhere, just everything going wrong. And to make it worse... Um, the gear that he gave me, because, you know, it's a fifth gear, they, I didn't have a spare wheel, he lent me his, had a different cog on, so I was now in a smaller gear, so I was spinning as fast as I can and basically struggling to keep up and with my butt hanging out. So that was amusing <laughs> for the crowd. And that was not the most comfortable night's sleep I've ever had after a diva. No, I can I imagine that. I next day and I had, I had tyre mat uh, marks on every single part of my body. There was no. a tyre mark. That's brutal. <laughs> so that was that was my early introduction to crashing on the velodrome. <laughs> well, that's no fun at all. If they if they go to uh, the Boulder one, they can just slide down, you know. <laughs> no, it'll yeah. still hurt. So, so try, to, try to try to avoid crashing, and more importantly, if you do crash, really try hard to avoid everybody else riding over the top of you. <laughs> kind of shifting into. Uh, your coaching so how did you get into that like where did that come from i guess as i mentioned earlier i've always been really analytical uh, you know i like studying things i like understanding how things work so i was i was on the national junior team in the uk when i was young i had a coach 
Um, he would prescribe training to me, and I, it just didn't make sense to me. It didn't, it didn't match the event that we were doing. The training didn't seem to to be, you know, it wasn't specific. It wasn't particularly similar to the event we were doing. And I would discuss this with him, and his answer would be, "Well, this is how we do it." Uh, and that's never been a satisfactory answer to me for anything in life. I always want to understand why, and I want you to be able to tell me why. So um, I, I then realized I probably wasn't going to have like world-class potential as an athlete, started working, uh, working as a salesman, but still racing for fun. And I wanted to maximize the potential I had. I was already the best sprinter at my local track, and I wanted people to push me. So I started coaching and looking after some of the other riders at the track, hoping that they would push me to be better. And we got like a training group and a few of us started training together. And I realized I had a bit of a talent for being able to see what somebody was doing and finding ways of improving it. And then um, after I've been doing this just for fun with some friends for a while, I got approached by British Cycling to help their local talent team coach uh, coach the sprinters because he didn't have he was an endurance coach he didn't have much experience with sprinters so that was my first kind of proper coaching gig was coaching a guy called jack kinton Spragan, who then went on to win the junior national queuing championship so first person i officially coached won a national championship then the next person i coached was a guy called pete mitchell um he then went on to win the junior uh, under-16 national sprint championships and win a world junior championships in the team sprint before he then was part of the, the uh, GB coaching program and he uh, moved to Manchester to be a full-time athlete with GB and actually came second piloting a tandem in the recent Rio Paralympics. So kind of started there. Um, I realized I had a bit of a talent for it. In fact, I think the first five juniors I coached either won or came second at the national championships. Um, when that started happening, then people started approaching me because they could see, you know, I was, I was doing well with these juniors, but then I had masters riders approaching me and asking me to coach them. And it was about at this point, I, I was kind of figuring what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. The property market had changed. I was working, I had a, a, a real estate business, and I realized I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. The, the crash was about to happen, so I sold my real estate business and then started working as a full-time cycling coach. So if somebody is out there and they're thinking of getting into track cycling or doing their first fixed-gear crit, from a coach's perspective, where do you think people should start as far as training goes if they're not at the point where they're ready to hire a coach it depends really on finances i mean if you have the money hire a coach as soon as you can the reason for that is you're gonna you're gonna remove a lot of the trial and error and you're gonna have somebody making sure that you start with good habits so a lot of the work that i do is i'm having to undo the bad habits or the kind of the folklore that somebody's had ingrained into them before we can get them kind of moving in the right direction and working on the things that they really need to work on so that's down to budget if you can afford it i would always recommend working with a coach as soon as you can you're going to progress quicker by doing that if you can't afford it if you're not in the right place to work with a coach look at your event look at the 
challenges of the event, how the event breaks down, and then mimic that in your training. So if you look at a six-gear uh, six crit, you know, what you've got, most of them have some slow-speed corners. So you've got to work on your bike handling so that you're comfortable going around these corners. You're going to have a big acceleration out of a slow-speed corner, and that's quite a tiring thing. So you have to be able to accelerate quickly. If you can accelerate more quickly, you don't have to go as hard as the other people to keep up with the group. And then you've got to be able to do these efforts repeatedly. So you've got two different things there. You want to improve your ability to accelerate. Um, and when you do that, you want to do that with short efforts with plenty of rest. And then there's a separate session. You want to improve your ability to recover. Now you're going to be doing similar kind of length, short efforts, but you're going to be doing them with restricted rest. So that might be, you know, 15 seconds rest between sprints up to two minutes rest between sprints. And what you're looking for there is you're looking to improve your ability to recover from these repeated efforts. Often what you see happens in things like these fixed crits is everybody starts together and the people that are winning the races at the end aren't going faster than the other people. They're just fatiguing less than the other people. So the speed of the races tends to be fairly consistent, but the people that can keep holding that speed for longer are going to be the people that are at the sharp end of it and winning at the end. Then the other part of those kind of races that you've got is this basic aerobic element, which is kind of the middle bits of the races where you're riding around in between the sprints of each corner and you're just holding this kind of hard-working pace. And that would be your basic aerobic road ride where you might go out for an hour, two hours, and you're going to ride at a reasonably hard level and improve your ability to kind of cope with going hard for that time scale. So I think, you know, what you're always looking to do is you're looking at the demands of the event and then you're going to break your training down to mimic the, the demands of the event so that you're capable of doing all of the different factions of it. And something I see often is people forget the sprint element of the event. So almost every event is going to end in a sprint or you've got to be able to go pretty fast in the event to get across the breakaways, to chase people down. And people work a lot on their ability to recover and they work a lot on their ability to hold a pace, but they don't work enough on their ability to go really, really fast. And that really, really fast stuff has to be done with decent rest. If you don't have enough rest, then you're not working on your ability to go faster. You're just working on your ability to recover. What are some tips you have for people that maybe have done their first race and now they're kind of looking for a coach? Um, yeah, what are some tips for them on like how to find someone and uh, some resources, I guess? So, I mean, the internet's great. There's plenty of stuff on the internet. Uh, there's some good groups on Facebook. You've got the Track Omnium group. You've got the Track Sprinting group. Um, there's also a huge amount of misinformation out there. So my kind of golden tips for looking for a coach are um, the biggest mistake people make is they employ a coach because the coach is the best local bike rider. That doesn't mean the coach is going to know how to help you ride your bike faster because quite often they might just be the, the fastest local bike rider because they're genetically more gifted than most of the other people around. <clears throat> so what you want is you want, to be, you want to look at somebody that is good at being analytical, 
that is good at describing things and see what you need can describe to you how you need to do something so you can become better at it rather than just do what I do because that's what made me fast. Everybody's a little bit different and they're going to respond to training differently. Some people are really fast responders and they respond really well to training. Some people are slow responders and they respond more slowly. And those people might need different volumes of training. So fast responders tend to need a little bit less volume of training. Slow responders might need a little bit more. And what you're looking for is somebody that is going to analyze your training. So actually look at what you're doing, look at the results of your training, see how your training is progressing. And they will adapt that training to you as an individual rather than someone who's kind of offering what you what you hear called a cookie cutter plan where the training plan is the same for everybody and it tends to work well for people who are gifted but doesn't work well for people who aren't quite as gifted so you want to look for a coach that's adaptable something i look for what i think is is a good indicator of a good coach is are they working with lots of different people that are having success so just because a coach is coaching one good bike rider doesn't mean they're a good coach it means that that one bike rider could be very talented and the coach is kind of benefiting off the off the back of that rider's talent whereas if you look at a coach that improves people across you know different age groups different events uh you know guys and girls then you look at a coach who probably understands coaching more understands human performance more understands uh, writing training programs better because they're adapting what they do for each different individual that they're seeing. Um, I also think an, another way of understanding if a coach is good or not is how good they are explaining what you're doing and why you're doing it. If you keep getting the answer, you know, we do this because this is the way that we've always done it, you know, you should just do this, just get on with it, uh, that's a big alarm bell. You know, what I've seen from really good coaches is often they weren't good athletes themselves. Or they were kind of the second-tier athletes that weren't as genetically gifted as the, the, the guys that, and girls that went and won everything, and they had to work really hard and really smart to get what level of success they got. Um, those people often make better coaches because, you know, they understand being more analytical. They understand thinking more about what they're doing rather than the really genetically gifted people the real freaks if you want to call them that becomes so easy to them they often don't understand even how they're doing it you know they train they get faster whereas most of us have to be pretty clever about what we're doing uh, i think i definitely fit into that you know i ride I, I still race i like riding my bike i'm definitely not the most gifted person that races in my age category i have to think really cleverly about what i do to maximize what I can get out of the training time that I have and the energy that I have for training and my natural ability. And I, and I, I hope and I like to think that I kind of maximize what I can get out of the innate ability I've got. And that's how I look at athletes. Look at the athlete holistically. You know, what can we do to, to allow them to be the best they could possibly be? And that's looking at everything they do. That's looking at their training. That's looking at their emotional preparation, their mental preparation. That's looking at their diet. That's looking at their, you know, physiology and picking absolutely everything. Their bike fit, their aerodynamics, the equipment they have. Every single thing, just doing it a little bit better than we were doing it before. And then that tends to have a pretty big effect on their overall ability and, 
and how well they can perform. So every profession or every little sector in cycling and really everywhere in life, I guess, <laughs> um, whether you're a sponsored racer or race organizer or you own a small bike company, like no matter what it is, there's always like misconceptions and myths about that. And so I'm kind of curious to get some of the myths and misconceptions about hiring a coach that you think need to be dispelled. I think um, I'm hoping I'm going to get this right. There's a thing called the the Dunning Kruger effect, and I hope I've got that the right way around, and it's not the Kruger Dunning effect. And, and basically, what it says is, the less you know, the more confident you feel about what you know. So, the less you know about something, the more you think you know about something. The more you actually know about the subject, the more you realize how much more in-depth and complicated these subjects are. And that, for me, really sums up you know, physical performance, coaching, cycling. It's a vast, vast subject. And we are still just scratching the surface of human performance and what makes us go better in every aspect. You know we can still get better equipment. We've still got a long way to go with the aerodynamics of cycling and how we're going to get better positions and skin suits. And so we're constantly expanding our knowledge and also realizing how much more there is to learn. So I think people start cycling. They think it's fairly simple. You know, I just go on a bike, I ride faster than the other person I'm going to win. And then when they start racing, they realize how much more complex it is. Well, when people come to say my sprint clinics, and we do video and we show them what they're doing and we show them what other options they have tactically in a race, they start to realize how much more complex racing is than they first thought it was. So the myth is, you know, I can just do it. I'm a, I'm a gifted athlete. I just go and do it and I'll figure it all out by myself. Well, a really good coach is going to know more about that subject than you do. And a really good coach is going to realize they have to keep learning more about the subject they have to keep expanding their knowledge so while it's easy to look on the outside of it and think it's not a particularly complicated thing you get on a bike you ride fast you're going to win it's actually massively complex especially at the highest levels of the sport and you know at that point you're not just looking for a good coach you're looking for a team of good coaches so you'd have a physiologist you'd have a strength and conditioning coach you'd have a nutrition uh sorry nutritionist You'd have a sports psychologist. You'd have a massage therapist. You'd have an aerodynamist. You'd have a mechanic. So when you look at the top level in the sports, you can realize that each individual part of the sport gets so specialized because that each individual area has so much depth. You can really figure out how complicated physical performance is. And there's this myth that, you know, you can just go do it. And if you train really hard, well, it doesn't really make much difference. You're going to win. When actually there's just this massive complex area and so many different moving parts that a really good coach will help you with the majority of it. And as you go up the performance ladder, then you start to get in other people to help in the other areas until you've created this team around you. And you'll look at the really successful cycling nations and the really successful athletes, and they all have teams. They have teams of people around them helping them perform at their very, very best. 
What are some of your favorite events in track cycling? So I'm a sprinter, but obviously I love the sprint events. You know, I love how complex track sprinting is. Uh, you know, the interplay between the riders. The leading rider is basically trying to keep the race fairly short and keeping the rear rider close to them. The rear rider is trying to make the race go faster and keep a gap between them. So at the end of the race, they can use that gap to accelerate into where they're using less energy than the rider in front of them or actually to be more accurate. They're putting out similar power to the rider in front of them, but they're getting more benefit with that power because the air they're going through is less dense than the rider in front of them because of the hole that the rider in front is punching for them. And then they overtake them before the finish line. Then, you know, I also really enjoy the endurance events on the track because although I don't do them much anymore, I realize how tough they are having done them. You know, you watch a 160 lap point race at the World Championships. And these guys and girls are absolutely smashing themselves to win this race, like repeated attacks. They're averaging over 30 miles an hour for nearly an hour. It's just the speed of the event, the skills when you've got 24 riders on the track all kind of moving around the track. Then you get to the Madison, and now you've got 12 teams, 24 riders, and they've thrown each other into the race, and it gets really complex. They have to know where all of their rivals are all the time. Um, I just love track cycling. It's, it's, for me, it's just such an exciting sport. You've got so many different events. Each event has its own particular um, things that make it really interesting and also that you have to think about. You've got events like the Team Sprint where you've got, for the guys, three different athletes. You've got the most explosive athlete that goes first. You have your fastest athlete that goes second. And then you have your athlete that's got the best speed endurance that goes third. And trying to you know, pick these three different athletes and find who's going to be the best in each position, put them together to maximize what they can individually do to make the team be the best it can possibly do. Then you have to add on that, you know, the gearing that you pick to make sure that they're on the right gearing so that the, the guy at the back can get on the more explosive guy at the front. It's a, it's a minefield, and I love it. I love it all. I love that. I think that's a good place to end it. Um, <laughs> do you have anything else you want to say before we head out? Um, so we're just developing or just about to roll out a program um, that's going to uh, be to encourage juniors to get into track cycling. Uh, then there'll be a race series, a uh, national race series for juniors. So we have more track cycling for juniors to do. And then off the back of that, we're going to have a national talent program that will be a development program. It's going to start with um, sprint development, and I'll be heading up the sprint development. And then we're also going to look to add uh, an endurance coach as well so that we've got both sprint and endurance covered. And the aim of this, I mean, really the big driver of this, I've been pushing for this with USA Cycling for years and finally managed to uh, badger them into starting this program with some outside support. We've managed to find a, uh, an outside um, fund source and a uh, very generous backer that's going to make this program happen. We're obviously looking at LA 2028, uh, and we need to be finding the athletes now that are going to be the medalists at LA 2028 for us. And we're trying to create this robust program where we have junior clubs at every track so that juniors can come and work with a club and can get some regular training. 
then as I said, we're gonna have this race series that they can do and then we're gonna we're gonna work with the talent that comes through that system and we'll we'll be taking them to uh, races like Junior Pan American Championships, Junior World Championships, the World Cups, building towards the Elite World Championships and obviously the Olympic Games with the aim of winning all of the sprint events at the LA 2028 Olympic Games. Um, you know, track cycling here, as we mentioned earlier, it's, it's been a kind of minority kind of fringe sport and we're going to look to get the numbers up doing track racing. We have a very healthy master track racing community in the US, but we're lacking juniors. So big part of this is to get more juniors riding. So anybody listening to this, you know, if you're a junior rider, you're a young elite rider, we want you going to a local track. We want you trying track riding, try the different events out. You know, if you're doing your fixed crits and you keep getting dropped, it might be that you're a sprinter. Come and try the sprint events. So we'd love to see more of uh, your, your people listening to this, coming to the track, trying it out, encouraging any juniors that they know to come and try it out. And there will be a place for these riders. We'll have teams for them. We'll have racing for them. And then we'll have a national program to take the kind of talented riders on and uh, really support them going forward. Where can people find more info about that? And where can people find you on the internet? So you'll find me at performancecyclecoaching.com. You can also find us Performance Cycle Coaching on YouTube and on Instagram and Facebook. If you sign up, um, subscribe to our YouTube channel, we have a load of help videos. So we've got strength and conditioning videos there. We've got um, basic exercises like how to get on a track bike. Sounds silly, but, you know, there's ways to do it that make it easier for yourself. Uh, how to push people in a race, how to do uh, a standing start. We break that down. We've got a video that helps you do that. Then this program, when it's announced, will be on the USA Cycling website. Um, so if you Google usocycling.org, uh, we'll have all of the information on there, how uh, young riders can go and join the teams, how the program's going to work, how you can apply to be on the program. Um, so, yeah, please follow Performance Cycle Coaching on uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, and our YouTube channel, and check out usocycling.com. Cool, Lee. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, my pleasure, mate. Great to check in with you. And maybe uh, once we've got the program up and running, we could come back and have have another chat. Absolutely. I would love that. All right, that does it for another episode of Save the Track Bike. Thank you all so much for the support. Shout out to our sponsors at Hexagon Cycles. That's hexagoncycles.com. Shout outs to fixgearcrit.com. The music is Slag Girl by Vitamin Pets. Check us out on Instagram at SaveTheTrackBike, SaveTheTrackBike.com. All right, we'll see you next time.